So welcome to, as I mentioned, this is our inaugural Blueprint Expansion video interview. Um, and this first in a series of interviews that we're doing with leaders um, across a broad range of interesting and innovative businesses. Um, the common theme for us are leaders that we see helping create foundations that make businesses thrive and prosper across the U.S. and, and across Canada. So I'm, I'm very pleased to introduce everyone to Gil Cohen, the founder of Employee Experience Design. I first met Gil, I think, through a shared connection on LinkedIn. And Gil, the thing about you that has struck me since we first met um, from a LinkedIn perspective is just the, the quality and thoughtfulness of pretty much everything that you share socially. Um, I've been inspired by your work. Um, and so I'm glad to have you on as my first guest. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Well, thanks. Those are uh, really kind words and I'm excited to be here. I mean, we've spoken a couple of times previously and always interesting conversations. So I'm, I'm really happy to chat with you. I've enjoyed each of those conversations as well. So I thought to start, it would be great to begin with a, a basic question I had for you and, and my audience might have as well. Um, and that is, if you could just talk a little bit about employee experience as an area of focus within an HR organization, what, what does employee experience mean and how does this function as a role or practice within an HR organization at large? So a couple of things. I'll start with a definition and a little bit of an explanation on employee experience. Then I'll explain why in my mind it doesn't belong in the HR organization. But that's a different story and I'll get to that in a moment. So employee experience is the sum of all the interactions that a person has with their employer and ultimately the sentiment caused by those interactions. The reality is, is while it is considered a newer concept, it's been in existence since the first job because every person who's ever had a job was having an employee experience. Every person right now who has a job is having an employee experience. The difference between what I'm trying to convey and trying to explain, and there are a lot of others like me out there who are doing similar work, is that if you don't design that experience intentionally, it's ultimately left up to different reasons. So the real reasons why most organizations are designed the way they do are because of expedient decisions and unconscious bias. That's what ultimately leads to the negative outcomes and why so many people are disengaged and why so many organizations have the corporate salute, which is blame them, because silos are created based on what's easy, quick decisions, what's, what's important now, as opposed to designing intentionally for employee experience. And that's where employee experience really comes into play is understanding what it is, and how do you build it to create the outcomes that you're looking for? Because all of the outcomes of an organization are a result of the experience that their people have, but some of them do it better than others, and some of them do it more intentionally than others. Um, and that's why it's, um, it's something that's helpful by understanding how it's happening no matter what, but you're better off doing something about it. And ultimately my opinion, and this also has to do with certain biases that I have around human resources, is that I don't think employee experience belongs in the HR department. Part of that reason is that historically HR has not necessarily been 
a very valuable or productive function. And it comes from its roots in the personnel department. It comes from the fact of how it gets pigeonholed in most organizations around policies, around compliance, around laws, around uh, benefits or making sure, you know, hiring, but not really strategically just part of the hiring process. These are the traditional areas that HR has been a part of. And if you ask most employees and most workers, that's what they think of HR. That's what most people think of HR. And there are a lot of, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of amazing HR people out there, but they're not doing what your average employee would consider to be HR. And so the reality is, is this requires different thinking than historically what a human resources department has done. So for me, one of the things that employee experience has drawn from is customer experience. Right. Because it comes from the idea that, you know, customer experience is built on the fact that it's not just about a product or a service. It's about the fact that your customers are consuming an experience with you. And there are all different touch points and different interactions in that experience. And so employee experience has taken a lot from that in viewing the organization as an experience. And it's a very different frame than traditional HR and has to look at things that are beyond what traditional HR would look at. Because employee experience has three main pillars of what I call X factors. Employee experience factors are all of the different inputs from the uh, organization that a person has in their experience. So there are three main pillars of X factors. There's human, that is what are all the human touch points you have or all their interactions you have with people through the organization. There's technological, that is what are your interactions with the tech stack, so to speak, the communication tools, the sales stack, the marketing stack, all of the different ways that a person interacts with their organization technologically something that's grown in importance over the last four months through COVID as more organizations are uh, remote. So therefore, there's less of that human element. There's less of that human interaction as X factors. And ultimately, there's the third pillar, which there's less of, which is the physical element. Because previously we were all, you know, in the same office, we were all sharing the same physical space, and these things could be relied on for a connection, for communication. We can't rely on that in a remote workforce. Gil, I want to go back to something you said earlier. I, th- I think, uh, you know, understood you know, traditional conceptions of HR and, and one of the reasons why, you know, sort of the, the you know, employee experience, you know, sort of may not be easily reconciled with that or, or, or belong to an HR organization, but where, where would you see stewardship of this um, residing otherwise? I mean, isn't this more a matter of, you know, essentially like what HR organizations ought to care more about in terms of, you know, looking at experience in these, in, in these ways and, and being more outcome oriented? Um, it, it is not, an ideal. Yeah. Absolutely. It would be ideal that uh, HR organizations would move toward that uh, point. But most HR organizations are not capable of that for two reasons. One, because of the brand, so to speak, that they have internally. And two, because the people who they've hired internally to do HR don't see the organization this way. 
And as somebody explained to me a long time ago, it's a lot easier to convince somebody new that you're something than convince somebody who's known you for a while that you've changed. Right. As well, the reality is, is that an ideal employee experience organization actually integrates all three aspects of those X factors, of the human, of the technological, of the physical. So the average HR department does not have the skills or knowledge to understand what technology integration looks like, understand what UX looks like, understand the impact of choosing one technology over another on the employee experience. And the technology isn't just, you know, HR communication technology. I'm talking about dev stacks because different developer experiences based on the technology they have impact the outcomes that they can create. Right. And these are all employee experience related um, factors. So the average HR department, both in terms of brand and capability, doesn't have this and it should be owned. I mean, the reality is that whether they know it or not, leadership owns the employee experience. Yeah. That's the reality of it because from the human aspect, the leaders are the ones that are creating the culture and they're building the culture. They're the ones who are making the promoting promotion decisions, the punishment decisions, what they're willing to tolerate and what they're willing to manage and expect. So right from there, that's been a historical problem with the HR department, is HR has been asked to take care of culture while they're not truly the stewards of it. Right. They're not truly the ones who have impact on it. And so many times, HR departments are left toothless in, uh, in response to a leader who acts counterculture or counter to what they want the culture to be. Right. And that's something that doesn't work in an organization well. Gil, I'm curious, when, when, you, uh, when you come into organizations, whether you're working with HR or, you know, assuming you're, you're often working directly with leadership, kind of per your observation here, what, what are the, the common challenges that are, are leading folks to seek out your services? And what are the, the kind of the common issues maybe that you find preventing them from having sort of the success that are, they're envisioning? I don't know if it's one and the same or... Or if you're, you're, you're finding that people often think ABC is the problem, but it's actually X, Y, and Z. So for me, because my target market really is human-centric leaders and people-centric leaders, these are people who understand conceptually our people make our business. Right. And they're the ones that understand often that they don't always know how to do that, how to design it, how to assess it, how to co-create it. They don't understand that they know their business, but they're not always necessarily professional leaders. So one of the- They know where they, they, know where they want to land. They don't know how to get there. Is that a fair exactly, way to- Exactly, yeah. exactly. They, they tend to treat their people well, but they end up making decisions unintentionally that limit people from their ultimate capability. And one of the reasons that hold organizations back and limit organizations from wanting to even work with me is a mindset issue. Because traditional organization, the traditional frame of the organization is looking at it almost like a machine. That it's a top down, it, everybody has to make the decisions and make the same actions repeatable over and over again. Everybody's consistent and all parts are replaceable. And that is something that is really, really 
dug into many people's mindsets and dug into many organizations. The idea that the leader is supposed to know, have all of the answers, that they're supposed to direct people and people just go and do exactly what the boss tells them to do. Right. And this is how they were promoted, how they were rewarded, and how they were successful in their own way, despite their relationships with others. So oftentimes it's a mindset of this has worked for me. I don't need to look at things differently. Your organization is here to make money. It's not here to make people happy. And ultimately employee experience isn't about making people happy. It's about creating an environment and creating an experience that people feel served and they can ultimately be successful. They have the tools, environment, experience that motivates them, that engages them, and that encourages them to be productive and puts them in the, in the area where they can be productive. Really interesting. You know, I, I was intrigued when, when, we first, uh, when we first spoke and you talked to me about um, intentionality, that, you know, something that, that um, is one of actually our core values at Blueprint. Um, and we really think about this as a way to ensure that, you know, that we're, that we're being strategic and focused on what success looks like with all of our, you know, actions to, to build up this business. Can you talk a little bit more about intentionality or just being intentional in employee experience and what that means and doesn't mean and why? Absolutely. So to take it to one extreme, an organization that doesn't even consider employee experience and doesn't even think about it and always thinks about the organization's perspective has a completely unintentional employee experience. Right. They don't, they have not crafted, they have not intended any of the experiences people have. It's all about organizational lens decisions. What's best for our people? We need all, we need 10 people to interview with them, but they're not uh, always available. Well, that means that the person's going to come back to the office eight times. Right. Right. Which then is an unintentional experience for a candidate that's terrible. So that's one extreme of unintentional experience creates unintentional outcomes. Because, you know, how many organizations and how many people out there have worked in organizations with silos yet? I don't know if I've ever met a founder that said, I'm going to build silos into right. my organization. I'm going to build it so that my people, a hundred people from now don't want to talk to each other. Right. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Maybe some people looking for healthy competition, certainly, but nobody's ever said, I want silos in my organization. They happen unintentionally. And so the first thing you need to understand is, what are you looking for? Right. What are you trying to accomplish? Because intentionality comes in two directions. It comes in the top down, which is as you are a founder, you need to articulate, what are my values? What is my vision? What are we trying to accomplish with our activities, with our sales, what will we put up with? What won't we put up with? Right. Right. But you also know that you know what you value in terms of ultimately when it comes to people. So if you, I look forward to the day when you need to grow and expand. And when you hire, I'll use that example of there's different ways to look at a hiring. Are you looking at somebody who will just come in and do a list of tasks? 
Or are you looking for somebody who has the capability to grow and add to the organization in every way? And somebody that, guess what? You're going to be spending six hours, eight hours a day with indefinitely. So each of those ultimately then leads you down a different path. So if your intent is just a person to do tasks A, B, and C, all you're going to find is somebody who's good at tasks A, B, and C. They might drive you nuts. They might do tasks A, B, and C in a way that completely is counter to what your customers are looking for, but you'll find tasks A, B, and C. So if you start by understanding what what am I, what do I care about, and what am I looking for? What do I want this business to be? What do I want it to be? Not just to my customers, to my clients, but to my employees. Because you know what? Your employees spend a lot more time thinking about your organization than your customers or clients do. Right. And they're a lot more impacted by your organization than your customers and clients are. Absolutely. It's it's sometimes it's remarkable to think about. I mean, so much of what you're saying would seem to be, uh, you know, very, uh, very intuitive. But, you know, I think a lot of people, I've certainly seen it in my experience, miss that. I'm curious, um, when you talked about um, the ways that you think about employee experience um, and, and, and technology in particular, you know, obviously it, it's hard not to talk a little bit about COVID and, and, and 2020 as a year that's just been uh, massively disruptive on business. And I, you know, I'm curious- Disruptive in life, right? I mean, for, for all of it, it's, it's, it's business, but it's also our lives that are, are truly disrupted. And one of the ways it's integrated those disruptions, yeah. right? Is that they're, they've sort of been blended and mutually disrupting each other. I mean, I've read articles about how essentially and through COVID, you can choose to have children or a full-time job. Right. You can't really do both. I, uh, I had to negotiate in advance to make sure that I had the office here to myself for our conversation. And uh, I, I, can, I can relate. So you were going to ask a question then about yeah, uh, COVID. Uh, well, I just, just curious to hear you know, your perspective on you know, how, um, you know, how this has impacted your business overall and, and, and the work you're doing on employee experience. Um, you know, I, I have to think that a lot of companies are, are having you know, greater challenges to maintain uh, cohesion in this, in this new world. But I could also see how, um, you know, frankly, this is creating new opportunities to maybe think about things and take employee experience more seriously um, than had been in the past. And, and, and that being a, a benefit for companies. And I'm just curious, I mean, how would you talk about kind of the work you do in, in terms of, um, of COVID and, and, and just all the disruptions that we've experienced in 2020 here? So I started my business and my strategy and I wrote it, you know, December, January. By mid-March, a significant amount of my strategic plans were just no longer factual. And I don't mean like I missed validating assumptions. I mean things that were genuinely true before in terms of my go-to-market strategy were just not true anymore. Can you give an example of that? I'm not- so I, have a, I have a few examples of that. So one example would be that my plans were around in-person events, both in terms of marketing, presentations, those kind of things, right. but also in-person in terms of facilitation and interviews. 
because that's what I've done my whole career. I've traveled somewhere and done in-person facilitation and interviews. So that's where I had built all of my sales uh, planning around that. In my marketing around building up credibility, et cetera, was to be done through in-person presentations. So those two things out the window come COVID. Another one, another major one for me, and this is more on the customer centric side because those other ones were on the me centric side, but then on the customer centric side, their perceptions have changed. Um, what's happened in COVID is priorities have shifted. And whereas I was previously planning on selling and starting to build momentum on selling about it being a candidate's market and being at full employment indefinitely, that's just not true anymore. Right. So I can't go to an organization and say, are you worried about turnover because people have so many other job options? It's just not true anymore. Again, it's not a validation or an assumption that I, I was wrong about. I was right about it in January. Right. It was no longer correct the third week of March. Right. And so that turned my thinking and turned my looking upside down because I had to adjust. I had to change where I was coming from. Um, and I'm, you know, still doing that. Uh, because in mid-March to mid-April, most of the, my prospects didn't want to talk to anybody outside the company. They were so busy and focused on near term, unless it was something that immediately impacted them, they, they, they just weren't listening about it. But then over time, priorities shifted. And one of the things I'm grateful for about COVID is that more organizations, not all of them, but my type of clientele, more organizations are actually caring about their people's mental health. Right. Absolutely. Because it became an issue after COVID. Right. For more people than ever before. And so all of a sudden organizations were recognizing, okay, we do have human beings on the other end of these right. Zoom calls and there are significant mental health struggles. Do, do you also think, Gil, that, I mean, I, it was, you mentioned earlier about you know, this change to a, an employer's market. I, you know, I, I wonder how much of that is perception versus reality to the extent that I think, you know, as we've had at least, you know, a little bit of a recovery, certainly in some, in some segments, I think, you know, great candidates have so much information at their disposal. I think a lot of folks who've kind of gone through maybe, you know, mixed experiences and being furloughed or, or let go from companies are, are going into interview processes a lot more kind of skeptical and probing. And so I'm wondering, not, not to get off topic here, but just in terms of, you know, kind of candidate versus employer market, I mean, is it in fact, has there been, do you think a, a big shift there in, in terms of the market or is the reality that you know, that, that even, even great companies still have a lot of work to do to, to find and attract great people into their organization, even in today's economy. All of it, all of what you said, it still holds true depending on where you are. Because yeah. there were some companies that grew significantly as a result of COVID, right? And so those companies were still doing hiring and doing even more hiring yeah. they were, than they were planning on doing. Maybe the platform so, here today for this interview, right? Zoom certainly being one of them, right? 
Absolutely. And good for them because they've set themselves up really well for this boom that happened to them. And now they're, they're a household name. They're the new Kleenex, right? So they obviously didn't stop hiring. I would hope, (laughs) you know, so it's, so it is true that for some segments and some great candidates, there still is a market. It's just less of a market than there once was. It's yeah. less of a risk than it once was. But I think to your point, though, a great candidate still has a market. And the mediocre candidates in, in, the, in the okay candidates have less of a market now but that means to companies, what that looks like to company is that flight risk looks less, right? Turnover risk or unintentional or unintended turnover risk looks less. So that's how they, they will end up seeing it is that, so if I have employees who previously could have had three job offers in, in two weeks, and now it'll take them two months to find a job offer, we don't need to worry about that anymore. Bad companies are, are thinking that, and I've seen it. I've, t- I've spoken to people who have experienced it, right? And so the employer's market, is it as much as, you know, some people may perceive it? Not necessarily, but I mean, still we're, what, in North America, U.S., Canada, we're at 10, 12% uh, unemployment. So that's still three times higher than it was, you know, four months ago. Right. So there's still, that's still in existence. But as you said, there's also been recovery, jobs added, and, you know, hopefully more over time. There's also my hope that, you know, April, May, you know, uh, March, April, May, companies were freaking out. Now companies are figuring out, okay, we can work remotely. Right. Okay, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to contract. We can actually do this. So we're getting into a little bit more certainty, not with COVID itself, but how business works in a remote way. Some companies are doing great. Some companies are doing terribly. Right. I have my opinions on why, but that's a different story. For sure. Well, you know, maybe talking about 2020, you know, we, we, we can talk about COVID and I, and I think we, we also certainly should talk a little bit about social justice issues and, uh, and, and, and the killing of George Floyd. And, um, you know, I'm bringing that up in part because I think you know, me and you talked about this earlier when, when, when we found it blueprint pre COVID, um, you know, we were also dealing with a different world and, and really, saw ourselves as being, you know, in the business of educating companies on the importance of regional diversity as a way to make their businesses stronger, to deal with some of the challenges of hiring in, you know, highly employed, expensive regions um, like San Francisco and New York, Um, but really trying to sell the value of diversity in the broadest possible sense. And, you know, obviously what's interesting now um, is that I think a lot of people, are, are really looking at diversity and inclusion as being, you know, more of a, of a, you know, of a cultural and moral imperative. I think they're aware of the, you know, the opportunities to make their businesses stronger in the processes, but it, it, it's taken on, um, you know, a lot more importance in corporate America, at least so it appears, right? I think there's another discussion we could have about how much that's, you know, sort of about appearances versus reality, right? But certainly there's been a lot of interest in that, even at the same time where to, to you know, to our, our point here that, you know, maybe the, 
the, the need from a hiring perspective doesn't feel as, as acute to get outside of a tech hub. People want to diversify. So I'm, I'm just curious to get your perspective. You talked a little bit about unconscious bias and, and how you help uh, people address that from an employee experience perspective. We'd love to hear a little bit more about um, and how you approach that. What are some of the common challenges that you're seeing from your perspective? So first of all, I'll come out and say I am no DEI expert, practitioner, or Me anything either. like that. It is a part of employee experience, but it's certainly not an area I claim to have expertise. Sure. But one thing that I've found interesting sort of watching as an outside observer, because I've never been truly in industry, I've always sort of <laughs> been outside of it other than a couple of years where I was in just a small company. But one of the things that I've noticed about business over the last over my career, over the last 20 years, is the way the conversation has changed. So early in my career, there was a recognition of a need for diversity. Inclusion and equity weren't even part of the conversation. Because to the, I often say to my kids that the path from a one to a 10 has to go through a two and a three and a four, right? And so... You know, whereas historically we were, as corporations, terrible, the first step was a recognition, okay, we are, are not diverse in a variety of ways. Right. So let's fix, start to fix that diversity. The problem then happened that they brought people in for the sake of diversity, which didn't look good to anybody and didn't feel good to anybody, but they didn't consider what happened once those, that person was inside the company. Right. So in many organizations, they would bring in diversity and all of that one group, whatever diversity meant for that organization would end up in one uh, department. They'd all be working together and separate from everybody else. Right. Or there would be the one token diversity hire. The, the, the woman on the board, the, the person of color hired, that then is not treated well, not included, because all of the systems were based on everybody being homogenous. Right. And the system didn't know how to deal with a person who wasn't homogenous and wasn't comfortable with that. And so over time, and in, in, there are many organizations who are still prior to that diversity conversation still. There's many organizations that still aren't even, can't even have that diversity conversation, which is terrible in 2020, but it is where it is. But then over time they recognized, okay, so we need to include people. We need to ensure that people have a voice, that people have a seat at the table, because if we bring them to the company and don't include them, then we're doing them no service and we're doing the company no service. Because if the point of one of the business points of diversity is around bringing in new ideas, if you don't actually listen to their ideas, what's the point? It's, it's not actually bringing that business value to it. Now, you know, you're talking about 2020 and there does seem to be more people who recognize the human imperative for business to care about this. Right to actually have an opinion, to actually stand up and actually do something about it. And again, so it goes to the paradigm of organization, of how do you see the organization and what are you looking for? Are you looking for somewhere that is going to process these widgets? Or are you looking for somewhere that has an impact on your employees? 
Are you looking to create somewhere that when your employees go home at the end of the day, they can smile, they can be happy, they can be content with a job well done? It's up to leaders to create that environment. And so one aspect of that is people's uh, emotional wellness, people's social wellness, people's occupational wellness. Well, historically, when a person who was that diverse hire was brought in but not included, well, they didn't have social wellness. There was nobody who looked like them and thought like them in the company. And they didn't have occupational wellness because they weren't given the same opportunities Right. that their peers were given because there were still unconscious biases rampant throughout the organization, but they were patting themselves on the back because now they have a new diverse hire. Right. It, it is amazing hearing you go through this and realizing, um, you know, I, I think a lot of companies and, and, and I'll put myself in this category. I've often just thought about, you know, ultimately like what does that recruiting funnel look like how much am i investing in attracting people of different backgrounds but as i'm hearing you go through this it's 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 really it's it's really striking just from the level that that's where the real work begins right because as you bring people in like what kind of environment are you creating to get to get the most out of them and to and to and to, and to enable them to be contributors in both the short and, and long term and and it's important stuff and um i can see how it really connects to your your uh, your core charter and and why this stuff all matters. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you being a, a guest on, uh, on our, our first video podcast here, Gil. Uh, for people who are interested in learning more about your business services, do you have any, uh, anywhere you direct them, do you have a website, or how, how, do, how do people t- typically get in touch with you? So the two main ways to get in touch with me are through my website, which is www.employeeexperience.ca. Or you can contact me directly on LinkedIn, search Gil Cohen, G-I-L-C-O-H-E-N. And uh, I'm on there. I, uh, I happily connect with almost everyone unless you're trying to sell me Forex. Then, uh, <laughs> th- then, I'll, then I'll look at it funny and dismiss. But otherwise, uh, I connect with pretty, pretty much anyone on there. Uh, you know, I'm always happy to talk employee experience, leadership, uh, organizations in general. It's, uh, it's something I find fascinating and I love, uh, I love the conversation around it. Well, thank you for your time. I've enjoyed the conversation and hopefully uh, Blueprint, we get, we get big enough where we need to hire you to come in and, and help us work on employee experience in our organization. But thank you for, uh, thank you for your time, Gil. Thanks, Jack. All right, take care. Bye.